Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, the film podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is, can we just talk about... Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me for Can We Just Talk About, David Luzader. How are you? I'm doing... Uh, I'm pleasant. I'm, I'm very pleasant. I very should have thought about... Yeah, I didn't think about that before recording. And I, th- I always thought of it in the moment, but I'm sticking with it. Yes, we've got no unpleasant things whatsoever. No, everything Nicole is Davis, very We pleasant. hope you are sufficiently pleasant. Yes, yes. You know, apparently because I'm in color, I'm a colored person. Do you get colored person? Do you get it? Do you get it? I don't get I, it. Oh, yes. I don't understand. Yes. Uh, Nicole, I feel like your hair would be a revelation in this movie. <laughs> it would really turn things unnatural. upside down. It'd be pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so reminder of the audience, because can we just talk about is a little bit newer. This is where all of us pick 10 movies that we really want to talk about, but they just don't fit in any of the existing categories we have on the show. And we put them in a little random generator, not too dissimilar from what we used for Netflix roulette. So some of that's still there and we go ahead and we spin it. So there's a one in third chance that one of us gets to talk about one of the movies that we really just want to talk about. Now, before we find out why David just really wants to talk about this movie, I do want to announce that next week is future class. Nicole, it is your pick. We have a guest coming on next week, and we are going to decide the movie with them. So Future Me is going to tell you what the movie is right now. All right, here is Future Me in the editing room. Nicole picked for her future classic, the seminal modern horror classic. Oh, oh boy, I already called it a classic. I got to hold that till next week. But it's called Get Out. All right, uh, that that is Nicole's pick. Yay, Yay, Nicole. I hope it's good. (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) Very good. Well, this week, we discussed 1998's Pleasantville. Pleasantville megafan David and his twin sister, Jen, are mysteriously transported into the 1950s black and white TV show and trapped there for several weeks. Jen's modern sexual mores infect the town and cause a viral spread of color as the pallid people's passions become inflamed. Uh, David, what about Pleasantville uh, made you add it to your can we just talk about list? Because that's a pretty tight list. We, had to, we each had to pick 10 movies, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I picked Pleasantville. You know, I know, uh, I'll just get it out of the way. I know it kind of wears its message on its sleeve a bit, <laughs> uh, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Um, I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of great actors in here. Uh, we got a number mm-hmm. of last uh, movie performances. Uh, in here. Um, it's made by the same guy that directed Big, which I didn't know until today. That was actually kind of a surprise to me. Um, but th- I just thought there was <laughs> a lot to discuss with this movie. And we're a film discussion podcast. So you need something uh, where, you know, we have stuff to talk about. And um, I mean, last time I brought in kind of a curveball with um, Burn After Reading, we got a, a ton of downloads. So I thought maybe we maybe did. people <laughs> maybe people are out there searching for Pleasantville uh, episodes and and this would be a chance for it. Also, you know, it doesn't. It's it's almost twenty five years old, so I couldn't do future classics. Uh, right. The, you know, we both had seen it. Uh, the two of you had, so couldn't do new to two. It just didn't fit anywhere. But I thought I think we can get a good discussion out of this. Very cool. And let's also call it the fact that not only did this man direct big, uh, but also the Hunger Games. Yeah. So oh. way down the line uh, was involved in that, and clearly had a Toby thing in the early aughts, because he also did Seabiscuit. But who didn't have a Toby thing in the early aughts? I don't blame him. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so Pleasantville. I first saw this in high school, <laughs> like, or maybe like junior high. I was probably like eighth or ninth grade English, because it's like it's just edgy enough that you're, you, can, you can watch it in the classroom, and they're not going to show you anything too risque. Uh, and they may or may not send home a parental note for them to sign. <laughs> And, oh, boy, do English teachers love this movie. <laughs> this is like dead poet meets, like, to kill a mockingbird. Like, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> feed it to all the children. Uh, so so it definitely is one of those movies that you see in school if you grew up after it came out. Yeah, I, th- I think, I don't know if I saw this. I think I saw this in theaters or shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, what about you, Nicole? When did you first see Pleasantville? Oh, I actually do not remember. I know I didn't see it in theater, so I saw it on home video at some point afterward. And yeah. I was like, well, that was good, you know, and that was that was about it. <laughs> I remembered it as being a little more subtle than it actually oh, no. is. Yeah. Uh, but we've, we've talked about movies on this on this show before where... You know, it's okay sometimes to wear that message on your sleeve. And I think we'll all like this more than Mother. So it's mm. got that going well, for it. Yes. Um, I would watch this many more times than I would watch Mother. <laughs> oh, hands yeah. down. I hate Mother. Um, so let's go through some of our discussion topics. We got a ton of them. Um, all you English teachers out there are going to love this. Hey, for the record, I'm a social studies teacher. I okay? know. As soon as I was watching it, I'm no- like, he teaches history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, if this movie were made today, it would be about a TV show from 1982. Cue the Nicole is so goddamn old theme. <laughs> I should have like a little stinger that Nicole plays on so that. Nicole is so goddamn old. <laughs> okay, perfect. I'll add some music <laughs> oh, to that. Um, and, and what might that look like? So, so my instinct was was immediately like Malcolm in the Middle, but then I realized that's, that that's the 90s, 90s mm-hmm. late 90s. and like early 2000s. So that that shows how disconnected I am. So I, what would 1982 <sighs> like television like? What show would this be? Would this be parodying if it was modern day? Square Pegs, I think maybe with Sarah Jessica Parker, like baby Sarah Jessica yeah. Parker. Uh, I'm trying to see like stuff. Cheers? That, no. Well, but Cheers started cheers was like in 1982. 84, 85, 84, I no, think. No, it was 19, it was 1982. 1982. Okay. Yeah. Family but Ties. But Cheers is also like different because Cheers is not the family unit, right? Yeah, the Family like, Ties would be close, but it's a little before that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Family Ties, is that, that's Michael J. Fox, yeah. right? Showing my age here. Okay. Alex P. Keaton. Yes. Cool. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny because you know, yeah, you're right because this is clear clearly parodying you know, Andy Griffith and, and leave it to uh, Beaver, my three sons, exactly that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why I I was so happy to just see Barney show up, which is apparently one of his last movies. Um, it, his no, it's his last movie. Is it his last oh. movie? Yep, for for Don Knotts. I mean, he he went on and did a couple more like voice roles yeah. on like TV, and so and I, I think his last uh, live action appearance was um, that '70s show. But, okay, interesting. Yeah, this was his last movie appearance. Because, well, first of all, I, I I could totally picture him doing vocal stuff because he he has that voice that is. is, is there's it's, few it's Don Knotts. Yeah, there's there's few people I can think about that have, like, the level of iconic voice as Don Knotts. Listen, uh, why don't you take this remote instead? It's got a little more oomph in it. Oomph? Sure. Big, beautiful set like that? You want something that'll put you right in the show. The, the Don Knotts voice is so iconic, and and just the second he popped up, it just made it made me so happy because you know I, I grew up on Andy Griffith. That was very much um, a a favorite amongst my household and my extended family because my aunts and uncles grew up on it, so they very much passed that down. And it was a thing where I remember that my aunt and uncle's house they'd have like the they had like the CRT TV that they literally got rid of like three four years ago. Like the 32 inch CRT CRT TV that was in like the oak cabinet, and the cabinet was I had the perfect cutout for the 32 inch. You could never upgrade because upgrading wasn't a thing, and then had the you know the all the Andy Griffith DVDs inside of it, and I'm sure that those DVDs are still at that house. But so I grew up on those, so I, I have a fondness for that for this movie in that sense, and also that he shows up. It's I, I love that. Um, I said he get clicked. That he gets clicked, but you guys are saying that's not the plot. That's of not the I plot of click. Like a decade. That's Doesn't not... Christopher Walken give him a, 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 a remote? Yes, but he doesn't go into shows and stuff. He can just c- control the flow of time. Okay. okay, he didn't get clicked. Fine. Uh, interesting. All right, now when they get there and they get transported into Pleasantville, uh, of course, um, Jen really is kind of the the. The cog that puts the wheel in motion here in terms of um of of breaking the cycle of repression throughout all the pleasant. She's the catalyst. And the yeah. first 
Yeah. Yeah. And the first instance of that is very much like sexual awakening and it starts a spread of color. And Nicole, you had the question, you know, why isn't Jen in full color from minute one? I mean, I think the movie explains that like it has to be whatever you are repressed from, right? She has this, she has this blank spot for, for, for knowledge and for learning and for reading. Well, I, and that's what I, causes her to turn the color. Uh, first of all, I just want to, I want to mention, because I was super surprised since we're talking about Jen, uh, Paul Walker's in this movie. Which yeah, I did not baby Paul Walker. He's the hard baby Paul. Skinny Paul yeah. Walker. <laughs> oh, I know. And, and thinking about, you know, Paul Walker did not have a ton of range, but boy, was he charismatic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just love seeing Paul Walker on screen. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think really what it, comes down to is the conversation that um toby and william h macy have in prison where he's talking about change and it's about uh changing yourself in some way and um you know william h macy's like can people change back and he's like, i think that's a lot harder and i think that's th- th- there is a certain definite like repression for most of these characters it is about like repression um, and I was reading some like collider piece today about that or something, but I think there's also just this like changing of your nature. Like for some people, it's letting those parts of yourself out and being free. But I think for her, it's like it's it's finding a new part of herself and embracing uh, stuff that she thought was like real dorky and and things like that. Yeah, I've always found it funny that this movie thinks that dorky is watching old sitcoms and not like he's in a basement playing D with his buddies like she has an entirely different idea of dorky uh but yeah i mean well she's from the cool I, side I, I, of know, the I, th- I thought this movie always you know each of the characters has it starts off with this sexual awakening but it, it grows as you have you know jeff daniels's art that he's never been able to pursue and and you know the mom she finds out things about herself <laughs> and you know, all these things start to happen with everyone. Um, and for her, it's very much, you know, like David said, opening up a part of herself that she never bothered or cared or looked down upon um, to, to explore and, and learning and reading and actually caring about that. Well, yeah. Although, you know, DH Lawrence is kind of crossover material between literary works and smut. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. she's 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 it's a start. It's a start, right? <laughs> it's, the, it's the gateway drug. Right. Into it, is, learning. it is the gateway drug. Um, I also like the idea that when when Paul Walker comes up and he's like, hey, can we go do it? And she's like, "Nah, I'm studying. <laughs> and and like because no one in Pleasantville on a deeper level, no one in Pleasantville has probably studied or even said the word study at any point because everything is exceptional. They always win every basketball game. There's never any ties. There's never any losses. No one is studying. No one goes to the um, library. Yeah. No. Oh my god, the book burning in this movie. Like <laughs> this movie does like does like all the hits in like the last yeah. half hour. Of, yeah. of, uh, There's you a know. courtroom scene where you're oh out god. of order. The To Kill a Mockingbird courtroom scene. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, we'll get to that. Um, I, I did put in here, this is a solid way to burn three class periods, and it totally is, because I have seen uh, at least once or twice as played by teachers, and because it's so long, like, what I'm really getting at there is more the fact that it's, like, two hours long and probably doesn't need to be, and you can burn that for, like, again, three class periods. Well, yeah, you can take two at least to watch the movie, and then the last one to talk about the, the themes and the right. key mm. events and yeah, what metaphors long, stand but... for. <laughs> Well, yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I think, I don't think it's a movie that meanders as much as other films that are too long, but I, there's stuff you could definitely like shorten or like kind of cut out. I, I can definitely like agree on that, but yeah. I didn't feel like, oh boy, we're still doing this, huh? No, I didn't feel like it was hugely egregious, but I felt like, you know, you could have yeah. trimmed, you know, eight, ten minutes out of it, maybe. I mean, there's a three minute scene, three minutes where Jeff Daniels reads a book. Or looks at a book. It goes on for three whole minutes where he is just turning the pages, looking excited, turning the pages. It goes on forever. But it's art, Brett. 
Well, are you telling me? Are you telling me you wouldn't watch a movie that is just Jeff Bridges reading for two hours? Because we both know that's. I would watch Jeff Bridges reading for two hours. Bridges and Jeff Daniels. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I meant I meant Jeff Daniels. I don't know why Jeff Bridges. Weird aside, I've seen Jeff Daniels' music routine live, and it's actually very good. He's a fairly accomplished, like folk country musician, and I saw him live at City Winery in Chicago. Jeff Daniels so, is super, he's just a talented guy. He is. And he's actually my favorite part of this movie. Revisiting it now all these years later, I just, I, I know that his character is, he's written in a way that is so painfully obvious. He's like, wow, I can do things out of order. And he's starting to figure out that he can like live this independent life that isn't dictated by a TV show, almost I, uh, in this Truman way, Truman show esque way. Um, but I still love him because he's just such a wonderful, personable character. I love the scene when he fit, when he gets there and he's talking about like, I, and I did it in a different order. Just like how excited he <laughs> yeah. is about it. Um, I think that I put a discussion point in here that I'm just going to bring up now. I just feel like there's a lot of really kind of nice understated performances mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, like William H. Macy for the longest time is just William H. Macy. You hire, you know, it's almost like they hired him for his look a little bit for, for most oh, of yeah. the film. But then like when it gets to the prison scene and then when he talks about when he, when they're in the courtroom and stuff and he's actually like, giving some emotion to it it's like okay they just they're not playing over the top at all they're playing the part so well that it almost seems like they're not doing anything well yeah i mean and william h macy's whole thing is that he's resisting the change so he's Mm -hmm. acting exactly the same all the time because that's what he's comfortable with yeah and he, but even even Jeff Daniels, when he starts getting into, uh, I said the right one this time, right? I didn't say yes. bridges. Yes. Um, <laughs> when he when he starts like figuring out he can do this, he's not like, and I I closed the store by myself. Like it's not this like huge. Right. It's just like for him, like the revelation is just like I can do this. That's acceptable. Right. I I completely agree. Uh, and and going back to William H Macy, I mentioned this to you guys in my in the chat that we have where. For me, it's it's almost it's it's actually hard for me to divorce him from Frank Gallagher, or Gallagher because I've I've grown up seeing Shameless, and that's just like that is his iconic role to me um, for the last you know ten years or something like that, oh. and that is such a you know far cry from what he's playing here. Um, so it, it was cool to see him, and he has my favorite scene in the entire movie, which is he goes to the bowling alley to talk to you know Mister Angry Mayor and all the you know. Um, toxic masculinity men and he says I went home and and she wasn't there and then I went to the oven and it, it was empty and then I checked the pots and the pans and there wasn't even one of those TV dinners and then the mayor's like by god this night is ruined unless this man doesn't get his dinner <laughs> and the, in, in complete seriousness, because the, the breaking down of this honey, I am home mechanic where she has dinner ready for him at six o'clock and she's ready to take off his shoes and give him a foot rub is so baffling to him. And to your point, David, it's not overplayed. It's just this complete and utter confusion. And he plays it really well. Yeah. Yeah, he's not angry. He's just bewildered. Right. Really, really bewildered yeah. by all of these changes. Where, going where is on. she? Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I, 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 w- I would leave H. William Macy. H. Macy for Jeff Daniels, but I don't think I don't think that happens at the end. I think they'd make up. <laughs> it's it's a little ambiguous there, right? Like she looks over and it's one guy, and she looks over as the other guy. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I didn't know what to make of that. <laughs> That's that's the one thing, like, with how much this movie is kind of, like, wears itself on its on the sleeve, as we've talked about. That is, like, the one point where I'm like, huh, what was that? Right. Yeah, like, you could, you could say, you know, like, the changes that they make in Pleasantville, you can say when they get back to their, you know, quote-unquote, their real world, that now the history of Pleasantville is like, in its third season, they started broadcasting in color, so then we had, you know... Then all these things changed, right. but they, you'd have a harder time explaining why Betty was suddenly with Mr. Johnson from the soda shop. Yeah, the 50s <laughs> didn't make that drastic of a no. <laughs> of, uh, changes in the storyline. No, yeah, no, it's no. supposed to be 1958. Uh, so. 
it, it, it does almost they they allude to this you know old flame kind of thing between the two of them, but they never, that never say really it. gets spoken. They literally right, but I like never that. say anything about it, and that's that's part of what's amazing about what both what Jeff Daniels and with Joan Allen is doing here. It's yeah. like she doesn't get a whole lot of dialogue. I was really surprised watching this again because mm-hmm. I remembered her being, you know, this major part of the film and the sort of an emotional core to the movie. And she doesn't get a lot of actual lines. So much of it is in looks and gestures yeah. and just these tiny little movements and with that, she manages to convey almost instantly that she's got like a history with Bill Johnson that maybe they once dated in high school and he moved away and then, you know, her husband... To the other side of Main Street. Right, he moved away <laughs> to the other side of Main Street and her husband, you know, asked her out and they started dating and so that was that was it, you know. Mm-hmm. I yeah, yeah, I really like Joan Allen in this movie. Uh, I like everybody in this movie. Yeah. Like there's nobody, nobody No, 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 no. There's someone to not like in this movie. And that's the antagonist bully kid who comes up and talks to Toby <laughs> Maguire about his quote unquote antag- colored girlfriend. The antagonist name bully is kid. Whitey. Yes, literally named Whitey. Named Whitey. Whitey. <laughs> yep. His name is Whitey. And <laughs> Good yeah. Lord. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nicole, you put in it, you know, kind of hitting the nail on the head here. But with the remarks about Bud's colored girlfriend and the assumption that she makes cookies for anyone. Yes. And then kind of bashing the nail with a comedically large sledgehammer when people start putting no colored signs in their shop windows. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then the final point is, look, the colored people have to sit in the gallery part of the courthouse. Do you get it yet? <laughs> Yeah. 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 I I think luckily it's, yeah, it's obvious. I don't think it's like distracting, but it is like, I think, Uh, except when the the guy puts the sign out. (laughs) When the the guy puts the sign out, that is the only time where it's like, okay, like, you know, if if really, maybe if he had just left it at like, oh, hey, your colored girlfriend, because you can, you could see how that argument, you know, oh, she's in color, we can call her colored. Um, the article I was reading today also like made a fair point where it's like this movie is like for for young people in a number of ways. So like the message is real, got a real you know real obvious yeah. as we've said, but like that's you know for young people that's not a terrible thing all the time. That's right. That's right. I I, I do agree with that. You know, it, it's oh and again like I, I I keep joking about this being like a high school thing because it was for me, but. That is part of what you need in some of those early years is to have movies that, you know, at least at least start to broach the subject. Um, I think there's better ones out there probably, but, you know, ones that have, you know, if you're going to do the whole like, you know, like dive into into racism, I, I think there's, there's there's better movies out there. I mean, there's stuff like To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, but with, with that said, I, th- I think this movie still has its place. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it works. And it and it occurred to me after the courtroom scene started that it was <clears throat> more than actually talking about race in itself. It's using the metaphor mm-hmm. as like a shorthand for social progress, you know, for changes yeah. Yeah. in society. Um, not just racial integration, of which there is zero in this movie. There are no non-white yeah. people in Pleasantville no, whatsoever. Yeah, that is true. Um, there are some at the beginning of the movie. I was happy to see that. <laughs> it is an integrated high school that David and Jennifer go to. But, uh, yeah, literally nobody in Pleasantville. Not even, like, you know, back to the future Gordy Wilson mopping the floor in the diner. Um, or the band, you know, the band that plays at the Under the Sea dance, you know, there's at least black people in that movie. But mm-hmm. this one, nothing, nobody, 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 which, to be fair, absolutely true to those yeah. TV shows. You know, you yeah. turn on Nick at Night, that's what this, you know, the marathon that he's watching at the beginning of the movie is based on Nick at night. You know, Nickelodeon, after 8 p.m., all the little kids have gone to bed. They had to have something to put on, and oh. they'd show these old black-and-white TV programs. 
Yeah, that's that's TV land now. Nick at Night is Friends and Fresh Prince oh, of Bel Air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. It's Bel Air now. Oh, it's not. That's on Peacock. Yeah, that's the the edgy remake. Oh, boy, it's the edgy remake. But I mean, it's about it's the post slap. It's pre and post slap. Yeah. That's a, yeah. that's a world we live in now. It's kind of like it's the the it's breaking out not only of. Oh, God, I'm like losing the thread as it's forming in my mind here. It's breaking out of the mold of those shows. You know, those shows kept everybody constrained very tightly, and there was no, uh, there wasn't any passion to those shows, really. They were just gentle mm-hmm. lessons and, you know, family values and that sort of thing. And this shows, you know, the truth about that time in America is that was when you were having the real birth of teenager culture. Um, Mm -hmm. When kids actually were able to not worry about going off to war and have some disposable income from their after school jobs and trying to figure out where they wanted to go in the world. And, you know, that that's where you start getting stuff like, you know, rebel without a cause and the wild bunch and you know it's so you've got that you know talking about what it was like actually in that time that the shows are trying to constrain but it's also any kind of progress you know change is yeah inevitable but there's always going to want to be this conservative and I don't just mean necessarily politically conservative, but like this conservative trend in society to want to keep things the same because that's what you're used to. You know, you know how to operate yeah. in this world that you've been, you know, doing this thing the same way for 20 years and you don't have to change and it's less emotional and mental work for you. But mm-hmm. when things are changing constantly, you can completely lose your footing you know and not know what you're going to do next and feel at a loss and like you're you're at sea so and then that's mm-hmm. william h macy really shows that really well it's like he's so at a loss by his wife not being there and color popping up all over the place and somehow not concerned about the fact that his kids never come home uh, right. <laughs> they only pop up occasionally in the house, um, but mostly they're gone, and he's not at all concerned. Um, but yeah, they're good, they're good this kids. is this is about people being resistant to change, and but that's you know the and these shows have that they keep everything in a bottle, but it's not that's an America that never existed. Life was never exactly like that for right. anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot, yeah. lot of those dads were coming home after spending their time after work at the bar, you know, and mm-hmm. were uh, not always very nice to their families and, you know, knocked their kids around when they got out of line. Um, you know, that's... But you never saw that on those shows. But, I th- you know, people will have nostalgia for things that don't exist, which, you know, it, to bring it around to politics, because that's what I do. <laughs> I think that, <laughs> that's a lot of what those red hats are about, is they're nostalgic for something that they're told existed, but never actually did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's, I think that that's something, um, going back to like a point, Brett, that you made meant that you said earlier when you were like oh this movie's idea of dorky is him watching like an old sitcom and while that's certainly kind of a bit of what they're doing i think too it is like i like the way it's a very 90s setup of him like in school and uh all these people are telling him like everything is terrible uh you need good grades you'll never have a job the world is gonna get aids yeah you're gonna get aids all that all that great stuff uh, and then, so for him to go and then just watch, like, a TV show where everything always works out. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is always so, it's not It's not just fine, it's perfect, it's pleasant. Um, 
that like resonates with him because he's inundated all the time with how everything is so terrible. So it's like, here's a place where everything is just okay. And again, he tries to keep that, you know, in the first 30, 40 minutes of this movie, he's doing what, what I would also probably do if I was in his shoes, where if I got ported into a show where I know every piece of it, my gut instinct would be to try to maintain the continuity of what I know is supposed to happen. Right. And he tries to do that uh, until he realizes slowly in his own way, um, as Jen realizes almost immediately that he can actually have a much larger impact uh, and a positive impact by by changing the narrative that he that he already is familiar with. Right. Yeah. The young people in town are really desperate to grow. The only thing right. that's been holding them back is the catal- is not having a catalyst because everything's kept the same around them. And then Jen arrives and ta-da! <laughs> I, I love her I comment really about am... the bra that she has to wear. She's like, I could kill a guy yeah. with these things. I'm wearing, right, I'm I'm wearing three, three pounds layers, of three pounds of underwear. <laughs> three pounds of underwire. Those things had like real wire. wires in them. Okay. Yeah. So. I... I really did. I like the scene because um, at first, I think part of what makes this movie long is that they decided to, and what I think was a good call was to like show things changing a little bit at a time. It wasn't just like mm-hmm. these giant changes. Like the real kind of like first one that I'm thinking of is when Paul Walker uh, throws the basketball and it doesn't go in the net, yeah. <laughs> and then it rolls back along the gym floor. And I love the teachers like. Okay, everybody, stand back. No, nobody touch it. <laughs> yeah, it's just like something's wrong with it. It's it's cursed. <laughs> yep. Um, oh my gosh, the basketball in this movie. For some reason, the basketball was like what I remembered from this movie as as watching it as as a teen. I just I just remembered thinking how funny it was that the jocks were the basketball team um, because that was not the case when I was in school. The basketball team was not the cool kids. Okay, now this was something that I thought was a little weird in the script, not basketball by itself, but people are asking, you know, Jen asks, what's outside of Pleasantville? And they mm-hmm. can't answer her because it's its own world. But the basketball team plays another team yeah. for their games. Who's the rival team? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's This is a, this is a, a other, shirts and skins type thing. <laughs> yeah, is it just other people from Pleasantville who aren't on the... Is it the kids from the technical school coming to play? Right. <laughs> It's just other school. It's kids at other visitor. school. It's the visitors. Yeah, visitor. Yeah, exactly. It's visitor. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always found it. I mean, I, you could totally sit here and kind of poke little holes in the weird logic of Pleasantville. Um, and, and always the one, the one that always gets me is how like just how pieces of pop culture just start randomly appearing, even though they should at some point question who is providing them to them, you know, like, Oh, great. We have Buddy Holly on the jukebox. Who's Buddy Holly? <laughs> you know, uh, where is this music coming from? 1958. He, no, he died in 59. He wouldn't be dead yet. He'd be almost dead. Um, I guess that's not a thing. People, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. Wait, I got to figure out when Buddy Holly died now. Buddy Holly. I thought it was 59. But I mean, originally, before they okay. even get to the rock and roll, it's jazz. It's jazz. It's jazz. They're mm-hmm. playing jazz like in, in, the, uh, in the, the soda shop. So Right. Yeah, which is still, you know, it's still the white version of black music that they've appropriated. Uh, right, but still jazz. Yeah, <laughs> it's just acceptable to white people. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, hey, hey, there's a there. I I do love when they when they start to incorporate some of the nine the late fifties rock music in here, mm-hmm. because like so when you when when you look at the birth of rock music and you look at things like. Um, you know, Elvis and, and Buddy Holly and, and, and that sort of stuff. You have this late 50s period where rock is really fun and interesting. Um, and then it just takes a nosedive in the early 60s. Um, and then all of a sudden the Beatles show up and all of a sudden rock is big again. But because you had those girl groups in the middle that kind of sustained rock. Mm-hmm. But this movie has that late 50s really fun beep bop rock that I, I've always loved. Yeah, although. Although there is a there is a mention of one black person in Pleasantville, they say the name Johnny Mathis. 
Yeah. So his music is acceptable because it's, right. it's inoffensive. <laughs> right. But no Little Richard because that no. would just be scary. Yeah. No, no, no. No Little Richard in Pleasantville. No. <laughs> Don't even mention Little Richard was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I, I know, can't imagine. I know this isn't what we're talking about here, and I'm way, just way off topic. But you mentioned Elvis, and I have to ask what is that voice Tom Hanks is doing? Okay, in, thank wait, you. What? In the Don't Baz know. Luhrmann, in the Baz Luhrmann movie that's coming out. Uh, which Baz? Oh, have you not? I, I have not. Oh, have you oh. not seen the preview, no. Nicole? Apparently, I seem to like play oh. the preview here now. The full two and a half minutes on the no. podcast. No, you can't do that. Well, Tom can't. Hanks is just like <laughs> you and I are both star-kissed children reaching we're for the heavens. Yeah. Oh, it's oh. so bad. We are the same. You and I. We are two odd, lonely children reaching for eternity. You got so the video or the trailer, I'm sure, is a fever dream that I had. But whatever voice <laughs> it, it is, is, whatever voice it is that Tom Hanks is doing, like, and I can't tell. Do I want to watch this movie or not? Is it I don't know. Better or worse than his voice in Cloud Atlas? Oh, way worse. I haven't seen Cloud Atlas, but worse. <laughs> worse. <laughs> whatever you're thinking of, it's the worse. One of his yeah. like far um, future. Yeah person dialect no, no yeah yeah so weird, weird little aside here i i basically think um it's gonna be a beautiful movie that's awful which is kind of the that's kind it. of the Baz Luhrmann <laughs> thing so that could be <laughs> Uh, I'll be interested to bring that to the podcast at some point because I, I am genuinely excited that there is going to be um, some form of, of Elvis biopic done in a unique way. So I am looking forward to that. But man, that voice, David, good but aside. That, that needs to be discussed. I can't stop thinking about it. I know. <laughs> it infiltrates. Um, but getting back on topic, uh, this movie is still remarkably beautiful. Yes. And I think that's what surprised me the most about this movie is that, you know, prior to The Phantom Menace uh, the following year, this was the movie with the most special effects shots of mm-hmm. any movie ever made. Yeah. Because was, they spent yeah. so much time with the, you know, the, 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 the color and the black and white. So much so, like, they had scenes where... Um, you know, his mother is is covered in uh, green makeup, um, or Joan Allen is covered in green makeup, right? So she, they can wipe off the green on her, and they they just did really cool and interesting things, you know, to make this movie still beautiful. Like still the 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 scene with the with the I don't know what kind of trees they are, the pink petals, probably it's cherry gorgeous. trees or something. Yeah, yeah. And- I love like that when the when the tree bursts into flames um, because the mom <laughs> dis- discovers what you can do in a bathtub. Uh, yeah, and I gotta say, I and, envy her because she's not moving at all, as far as I can tell. <laughs> she's still managing to have a great time. Yeah, but I, I just and then like the the fire happens and it's like it just looks beautiful. It does. This yeah, in a black and white world, it bursts into this orange flame and it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the fire department Absolutely. doesn't know what to Absolutely. do about it. <laughs> I love, I love it. Fire, fire, cat, <laughs> fire, fire, cat. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and this movie has some some great moments like that, some fantastic writing, and it plays with the idea that that you know um, David, the character, and David and Jen are living in a world. You know what? If this is, takes place in the nineties, what forty years there? You know, they're junior, mm-hmm. but it doesn't linger in anything dumb in that regard. You know, um, it, they're not teaching kids rock music. Or something like that. Like I don't know. Yeah. I, there's an. You know what I'm saying? Like it could be hokey. It right. Could, in the, like in the same in the same way that like 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 you know talking into the walkie-talkie and or no talking into the computer mouse in Star Trek Five saying hello, hello computer. computer Star Trek Four like Four Bratchies Star Trek Four sorry the the whale <laughs> the one with one. the whales yes. like in the same way that like they <laughs> lean too hard okay another entirely random aside here we're going deep down a rabbit hole we watched that movie on this podcast or the last podcast i can't uh, we watched remember it in geek cinema okay so in that movie 
Do you remember when they are on the bus when Spock is learning yes. how public trans- transit works and there's a guy with a boombox with a mohawk yes. and he's like jamming his music and Spock's like, hey, turn it down and the guy refuses so he neck pinches him and the guy passes out? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. In the new season of Picard, there's an old dude on the bus with a mohawk <laughs> playing the same song. Oh, nice. And they're like, hey, can you please turn that off? And, he's like, and he rubs his shoulder and he's like, yeah, you know, I probably should. <laughs> it's the same guy. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's pretty oh, sweet. It's boy. the same guy. Okay, that's our, that's our last entirely random diatribe. Uh, we but can't, it, we it, cannot it promise movie. that. Right. Yeah. No. It is. But I mean, like, I just wanted to circle back real quick to how pretty this movie is and how, you know, it's beautifully shot with combination of black and white and color cinematography. And there's uh, these call outs to classic films. And I think they're doing a call out to Citizen Kane during the town meeting with the shot of the mayor up at the podium and it's shot at this really strong dutch mm-hmm. angle and the black and white the lighting oh. is super bold 100% so just like here's a guy who loves his power and yeah uh thinks he's got control over over the town but he's going to act like he's so sweet and reasonable and he's doing it for everyone's good you know Right. So I I do love how um, when asked whether or not the scene where Toby goes out into the rain and raises his hands up was supposed to be a Shawshank homage, the director was like, "No, man, I thought I thought of that." <laughs> yeah, he he said he thought it was an original. He wasn't aware until the movie was released that yeah, uh, yeah he just hadn't put that the two and two together there. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of, you know, when you read through, like, the trivia section on IMDb, there's so many just weird little oddities that are jam-packed into this movie and little mm-hmm. Easter eggs. Like, for example, the the Indian chieftain that is in the, the error message or the, the transmitting message on the TV when the TV goes blank after Barney's done talking on it, um, starts off smiling and then gets madder and madder through the movie and eventually sad huh. um, by the end of the movie. And I don't know if that's because he's a, you know, racist Native American caricature or <laughs> no, not. I, th- I think it's reflecting Don Knotts's, uh I think so, too. But I'd like to believe it's because this Indian character has realized that he's totally not cool. But <laughs> Like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> what am I doing? It's all right. I'll, I'll live on uh, in sports mascots for the next oh 60 years. Oh, my God. My, my high school... My high school, the Warriors. Oh, boy. Oh, that was problematic. We at least were the Spartans. Um, that we could just be like, yeah, all right, whatever. You know. Go Cougars. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so you guys didn't have racist ones. Mine was super racist, and it had a really racist logo. Oh, that's a bummer. Um, <laughs> so, uh, to, to wrap it out, uh, let's talk about the Beatles. I'm glad wait, you put this wait. in here, Oh, David. my goodness. Um, <laughs> what, 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 do you, what do you want to talk about? JT Walsh. What's the matter oh, with yeah. you? J.T. Walsh. JT. This is, is his last This was his last big role. Oh, yeah. He was like in okay, one... Before he died. He died like before this movie was released, Yeah, I he think. did. He did. Mm-hmm. He, he died of a heart attack um, before this came out, and which is a shame. He was only 54. Um, yeah. And he kind of... Something interesting I found out is like, well, he specialized... In this kind of role, where it's like, I'm a real American in a position of power, and I'm the antagonist of this production, he was actually the complete opposite of that. He was a very, very progressive guy. So it was all satirical for him, playing those kind of roles. So Interesting. We, you know, we said we weren't going to do any more, uh, any more offshoots, but Let's that was that was a lie because I got one more. To, that that reminds me, uh, Frasier in Frasier, you know, uh, no, this I, I swear it all connects together. Star, Star Trek to Frasier, go all ahead, right, go for it. So Frasier, Kelsey Grammer plays, you know, he plays like the liberal elite, uh, sort of like West oh, Coast Lord, guy, yeah. um, and. And, but in real life, he's like a pretty like conservative dude. Uh, in case you know, Kelsey Grammer, not the greatest human being on the planet. But uh, John Mahoney, 
who in Frasier plays like the, you know, conservative, very traditional sort of guy in real life was much more like the character of Frasier. He was very liberal uh, and, and actually like would kind of give tips to Kelsey Grammer on how to play that kind of person <laughs> uh, within the show. Acting! Interesting. Yeah. It's amazing yeah. how acting works. I mean, he, you can be a totally I different know. kind He's, of person uh, than who you're playing. <laughs> When you when you look at his filmography and it's like a few good men breakdown executive decision mm. tequila sunrise good morning America this was every dad's favorite actor they didn't know the name of yeah <laughs> so J T Walsh this is a, was this a, is a dad movie playlist yeah oh yeah yeah that's good morning Vietnam by the way uh, Alpha. good morning America that's the that's the morning oh, show good morning America God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Jeff Bridges good morning America. Um, <laughs> All right, very cool. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up on... Um, I mean, David, you did also put... We touched on it a little bit, but this movie feels oddly relevant today, given the laws people are trying to pass today. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, with, with like the stuff currently going on in Florida and the crap, just like people trying to make these bills pass. It's like, we need to keep things the, like the good old days. And as I'm just watching through this, it's like, uh, yeah, we're still dealing with that, huh? That's still going on. Yeah, people who yeah. can't seem to internalize that the good old days were only good for a very small segment of the population and they were not that good for everybody else Mm -hmm. (laughs) preach it yeah yeah no kidding no kidding well uh i I, i'm happy david that you brought up regina specters across the universe at the end of this not regina Um, specter no it's fiona apple fiona apple i'm sorry fiona apple uh, you put a Beatles cover to rival Regina Spector's, to which I would say there's also Rufus Wainwright's, which is excellent. Also made for another movie, but I'm blanking out what movie that was for. Um, yeah, it's it's an excellent ending in the movie, and I also think it's it's it. The reasoning behind it is very weird. Um, did you see that, David, on IMDb? No, I don't. I must not so, have scrolled that far. One of the books that is mentioned during the book burning is uh, Catcher in the Rye. It's mm-hmm. also on the mural yep. that that um jeff daniels paints toward the end of the movie uh and apparently imdb says that they chose across the universe because uh catcher in the rye inspired mark david chapman to kill john lennon that sounds kind of like bull to me yeah I'm gonna call that, this on imdb that sounds like a stretch yeah, that does sound like a real stretch. It's true the the, the, the former part, but uh, and it is a Lennon song, not a McCartney song. But yeah, I, I it's a great Beatles cover at the end, and it just wraps up the movie in a perfect little bow. I I love that cover. I still listen to it a lot today. It's so good, so good, so very good. Well, Pleasantville. I I think we got we got a lot of meat out of this discussion, as you anticipated, David. Uh, so. Nicole, final thoughts from us having not seen it in a really long time. I'm glad I did. I think it's a little long, but I, I actually think it's it's quite a lovely film. What about you? Yeah, I think it's it's a little heavy-handed with the metaphor, uh, even though it's not actually the yeah. the metaphor they're going for directly. You know, they're not tackling <laughs> racism with this movie. Um, but they're using it as just, you know, change, you know, and integrating new ideas and new ways of doing things into the town. Um, I, it's very well done. You know, it's well made. It's well written. It's well acted. I would definitely say, yeah, give it a watch, you know, do some nice critical thinking discussions with your friends afterwards. To pick apart, hey, where does this apply? Where does this apply? Um, especially the Pleasantville Code of Conduct, where, what was it? They're not allowed to teach uh, changist Changes history. Changist history, yeah. Changes history. And that's the one that hit the hardest for me, watching it this time around, with all the paranoia yeah. about critical race theory being taught in schools, which it isn't. Anyway, um, uh-huh. but yeah, but the way that history is being taught in schools is very much uh, controversial in some places, and that's sad. <laughs> and it's sad that this yeah. movie is almost 25 years old, 
And this is still going on. And it probably still will continue to go on because the writing of history is never immutable. It's never done. So mm-hmm. I suspect that's always going to yep. be up for debate. Um, but this movie is, it's a good flick. <laughs> go for it. You know, you got two <laughs> hours to flick. spare. There are worse ways to do it. Yeah. It holds was, up well. I will say it's been years since I've seen this movie, like a very long time. Uh, so I remember a little bit of like, oh yeah, obviously they're they're doing a little bit of a race thing here. I'd forgotten kind of how heavy handed it is, but it it saves itself uh, in so many other ways. And I would not mind showing this to a, a classroom, not to waste time, but because some <laughs> students some students will get these themes so much better from a movie mm. than they ever would from a book. Yeah. But will they watch a black and white movie? <laughs> it's only it's only sort of black and white. Don't worry. <laughs> 30 minutes right. in. It's only sort of black and white. It's not To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think of like other perennial lit class movies. And I, met, you know, I mentioned To Kill a Mockingbird, and there's Dead Poet. This is definitely one of them. I'm not sure what else. Uh, we, uh, Romeo and Juliet, the Franco Zeffirelli version. We had to watch that. Mm, for me, for me, growing up, this is a this is where we play the the uh, Nicole is old mm-hmm. um, jingle because mine was the Baz Luhrmann one. Yeah. <laughs> well, Which don't show that in any literature class. Well, at least I'm not. You know the the Romeo and Juliet one that I saw was at least before I was born. That movie was made. I can say with confidence. So yeah, <laughs> they just kept Great it Gatsby around to roll in on the cart every. Yeah. Uh, and le- let me just say, at the end here, it's great that Tobey Maguire's having a moment right now. You know? Yeah, it's Com- the Tobey coming off, coming off Spider-Man. I mean, I don't know if we're going to see more of him, but it's great <laughs> that he's just back in the public consciousness for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. He's a talented I mean, also, actor. Like Kirsten Dunst. He is. Um, I-, I mean, if we want to talk about, you know, folks from the franchise that, I mean, I'm, t- I'm thinking about Kirsten Dunst because they were in Spidey together. You know, she got nominated for an Oscar this year. <laughs> so that oh, was yeah. pretty cool for a really, really good movie that we should talk about on the show at some point. So very cool. All righty. Well, uh, hopefully the Toby Sants will be a thing. I would love to see that trend on Twitter, but it was wonderful in Spider-Man. All right. That'll do it for me, David and Nicole. Let's go around the horn so we can find everybody online. Nicole, what are you up to? I have a letterboxed account at Nicole underscore Davis. Very good. And what about you, David? Avla is D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, find me there. Both are private currently, but request me and I'll let all approve you. <laughs> Very cool. And you can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. You can find the show on MGRpodcast.com. You can find links to everything over there. And also, if you want to follow along for You Did This To Us Weeks, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We'll remind you there. But more importantly, YouDidThisToUs.com. You can go there and you can actually vote on that website every single time the poll is open. But we will see you next week with Future Classics. 